Welcome to 15 Minutes with 15 West. Today I am chatting with Matt Baden. Uh, Matt Baden is the Regional Director for TDA. Uh, TDA are a tech design and product recruiter and, and Matt heads up their North American business. Welcome Matt. Thank you so much for having me Sarah, appreciate the time. <laughs> no problem at all. Why don't you start by giving everybody a bit of an, an intro to you and a bit of an insight into your background. Yep. Uh, so immediately people realize I'm not American, uh, so I'm an Australian. Um, I, I, started, uh, I started my recruitment career back in Australia. Um, I worked for Hayes for, for three or four years, and then I moved to, to Robert Half, and I worked for them for uh, just over seven years, both in Sydney, leading part of their finance group, and then moved to New York and, and headed up part of their tech, tech operation in, uh, in New York. So... Um, I suppose all up like kind of 12 or so years experience, but uh, it's been a long way to, to being in New York and it's a lot different from doing uh, accounts payable placements in Parramatta in New South Wales, I can tell you. So, um, you know, it's, it's been a fun journey uh, and I've learned a lot in that amount of time. And now I'm kind of like really embedded in the, in the tech market in New York, which is really exciting. And I think like one of the fastest growing parts of recruitment in the world. Amazing. Well, I, I don't want to make this whole thing about COVID, um, no. but... Uh, you've had quite a, a unique experience during COVID. Why don't you kind of tell everybody about, about your experience? Yeah, well, obviously being in New York during COVID was not, um, I don't think anyone, anyone, I don't think wished that on my worst enemy. So it was, it was pretty kind of scary. I think, um, you know, Italy kind of got it pretty bad, obviously, but I think in New York, it, you know, the, the pandemic really took hold before people even really knew about it. Um, and it was really one of the main Western countries that, that like one of the, sorry, main Western cities, I think that, that really copped it the worst. Second to that, I was working for Robert Half and, you know, I, I would say that, you know, their response to the pandemic was, you know, it's a questionable probably is, is a fair way of putting it. Um, and there was a lot of uncertainty like within work. And so I think you get yourself into a scenario where every day you're working at home uncertain of what work's going to look like and then if you ever go outside you're uncertain of what that looks like so it's just you know it's just a really kind of horrible time within that as well my wife actually um she got a job a new job at that time just like a couple of weeks into covid really randomly um and she actually flew back to australia so she could get a new visa but then she couldn't get back so i was doing it all my own which was a kind of weird experience um my cat certainly thinks i've lost my mind so <laughs> She probably knows more. She could give a better interview than I could, I think, about that. I can't, I can't believe that you had, like, all that time not having your wife there. And then, I mean, some people probably say you were crazy to then decide to, to look for a new job. Tell, tell me about kind of why did that came about and what your experience was like. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair question. <laughs> that's, that's a really fair question. Um, so, two-part two answer. What was it like? I, there are a lot of people who are single, like on their own in New York in that period of time. So even though my wife was not in the country, she was still working US hours in Australia. Mm -hmm. So we had a lot of like FaceTime calls and whatever. So I, it, it was hard, but there would have been people that had it a lot worse than me. Um, you know, there are friends of mine I know, like didn't see anybody physically like a friend for like four or five months. Yeah. So that's really challenging, like really, really challenging. Um, and I, I can't imagine having, having been in that scenario because I had like a tight group of friends that I was kind of close-ish with. My, my upstairs neighbours were quite close with at that time. So 
it was it was it was pretty good but um it, it was definitely difficult in relation to looking for a job um well i think at any point in somebody's career you're weighing up the company that you're working for like what are the pros and cons of working for that organization um and i think what i what i realized once once covid came along is that a lot of those pros that i'd had for working for that company was were heavily mitigated by what what the cons were exposed during covid so i think i just got to a point where i really realized like is this the type of organization that i want to be working for and if so why and if so why not um and then starting to think forward and i know we're going to talk about this later but you know how does this fit into what i want to do with my career and what's the right next step now um yeah. because the right next step might be to stay and just to stick it out or whatever but um it also might not be to do that yeah I, I i think i've heard that so many times as well it's it's a real shame but obviously it's going to happen more and more people are, are wanting to leave not because you know their jobs were affected by covid like they still had perfectly good jobs but because they didn't you know they didn't necessarily feel like a lot of weaknesses in their businesses were probably magnified when covid hit and yep. um, and i think that's definitely you know had a big effect on on a lot of people and and in if it if it hasn't happened yet i think we're probably going to see more of that over the next few months or at least start of next year i think more and more people will probably be looking to to move on from their current employers yeah i think i think there's probably a lot of people there's probably like i don't know 25 percent of the market or something that really want to look but are just really scared about looking yeah um, and that's just, that's not in my vertical necessarily in, in tech alone, you know, that's like recruiters, whoever, I think, you know, certainly at the start of the pandemic and people that I spoke to were like, okay, you know, I've got this job. I just need to hold on to this job because God knows what's going to happen. Um, whereas now I think it's kind of been normalized a little bit. You know, if you think, you know, I, I don't want to kind of get into the wherefores and whyfores of, uh, of what COVID is, but I think we all know that there are three waves expected across across covid you yeah know, it was the pattern of the spanish flu you know in some parts of the world like where you are the second wave is happening now there will be a third wave and we know that so it's really just about kind of living with that and kind of living with a bit of that uncertainty um and then you know in, in relation to what you mentioned before around weaknesses within their own organization i think what covid really did is exposed you know like transparency of management you know i think that's really the main thing in a lot of companies the places that have done well have had really transparent open management styles you know yeah. and when that hasn't existed i think a lot of those organizations have suffered um, yeah I, I think you know, people have really looked to that as like the main driver of why somebody's going to look um and i've been asked the question like why do you think that is well the obvious thing is we're not going into an office so you can wipe away all the stuff about culture and like this or that or like great office space or yeah. like you know summer like all that doesn't exist what exists is the relationship you have with the person that you report to and what they tell you and whether you trust them and what ultimately ends up happening is people are leaving because they're not happy with exactly what i just said so um i, th I think that's where companies that that have struggled with that or have had kind of opaque management structures have, have really struggled and i think that's that's probably the the bit that's driving a lot of people to think maybe i should think about the next thing yeah i totally agree and i think I, I i know you worked with you know a couple of recruiters and explored the market you know you really wanted to see what was out there before you made that move it was quite a strategic move um yeah. and you know i was lucky enough to work with you during the process um I was but, lucky enough to work with you, Sarah. I think 
What, what, how did you approach your search? Like when you knew you wanted to go out to market, how did you decide to approach that? Yeah, I, I've only changed companies once in the last 12, 11 years. So I, I thought, look, if I'm going to make a move, I need to be really considered in the move that I want to make. Yeah. Um, and you and I talked a lot about this at the start, like right at the start, like what was next? What was that going to look like? And I knew I didn't have it absolutely nailed down at that point, but I knew kind of where I was, what I was kind of working towards. But then very quickly after a couple of conversations, I was very quickly able to go, okay, well, this is where I want to go and this is what I want to do. Having spoken to some people and seeing what's available and, and the type of organizations I could join. Naturally, I think if you're in a big company like a Robert Half or a Hayes, you naturally go smaller from there because if you're looking for more transparent management, you're not going to get that in a bigger company. You're only going to get that. No. In a company. Um, and you know, a couple of the focuses of my search were, you know, to think about me picking up more commercial and operational skills. I had to run a business, not just to, you know, train a recruiting team because like that I can do well. It was just more about, you know, what other skills can I add in terms of like my overall business acumen, I think. Um, but then also it was about, more transparent managers, but also being closer to the leaders and the, the owners of the company. Um, but in, in, in looking at that from everybody else's perspective, even since then, and I, I've interviewed some candidates, you know, since I've joined this company, but what's really apparent is that a lot of recruiters don't put the same expectations on their own career as what they put on their candidates. So we all know as recruiters that if a candidate said to you, in answering your question of, you know, what do you want to do next in your career? You're like, well, you know, I'm not really that sure. Like I've got some ideas. You'd be like, how do you not have an idea of what you want to do? Like in our own heads, we know that good candidates know exactly what they want to do. They're very direct and forthright about what they want to do and they're clear in their mind. But as recruiters, when it comes to our own search, we don't always think about it in the same context. Um, yeah. So what I would encourage people to do is before speaking to somebody, be really clear about why you're looking, what you want to do next and how you're going to go about that. Um, and try and forecast, you know, 10 years down the ro road, it's not easy to go, what does 10 years Matt Baden look like? And once you know what that looks like, it becomes easy to kind of chart the steps backwards of like, okay, what would I need to do next to get to those things? Um, and then, so when they start speaking to you, you go like, Sarah, this is what I want to do. I want to do this, then that, then this. And when you do that, I think it makes it a lot easier to kind of filter out what's worth it and what's not. I think it's crazy though because there are like I see it so often there's so many recruiters that are really good at by advising their candidates on how to approach the job search but when it comes to their own they just don't approach it in the same way and I, I've been guilty of it in the past and you know not not and gone down the rabbit hole and not necessarily thought about right what do I actually want why am I here and yep. I think sometimes it's it's yeah we can be so good at, at advising other people but we forget to take the same advice ourselves yeah. I mean, to your point, like you could get a number of jobs like as a recruiter, if you're a good recruiter and you can pick up, um, you can sign clients, you can get deals done. You can walk into any job pandemic or not, because you're a valuable commodity because you're going to increase the bottom line of the organization. End of story. Yeah. Why that organization? Like, why do you want to stay in technology recruitment? Do you want to stay in technology recruitment? Do you want to do other types of recruitment? Why do you want to do that? Like, if you don't have the answers to those questions, I would question why are you interviewing in the first place? You know, you need to really think about what you want to do next. Because if you analyze where your successful times in recruitment have been, they're usually when you're at your most motivated. I know that sounds yeah. like a really obvious thing to say, but if you're going to be really successful, you're generally pretty motivated. And to be motivated, you have to be on the path to wherever you think you're going. 
that's the main reason why someone's murdered. Like I mean, I'm going here, I'm doing this. I need to buy this, or I want to travel here, or I want to do, I want to buy a house or whatever it is. Having that focus and that motivation helps you get there. But if you have no idea where you're going, I, yeah. I don't know how you get motivated to get there. It's, it's, it's a kind of, it's a weird one. But if we said that to a candidate, you'd be like, okay, oh, that's obvious. So yeah. I encourage people to think about their own search, the way they would talk to their own candidate and have those conversations with yourself in a weird way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even if we need to have like several conversations to figure out what that is it, before you actually go to market, I think it's much better doing that and then going in more of a strategic way than, than literally just going out and meeting everybody and not having a clue what it is you want. I think, I think the other thing I would encourage people to do is, you know, and people are going to laugh probably when I say this, but I'm, I, I don't mind listening to the odd, you know, kind of famous person talk about like their rules of success and things like that. And Arnold Schwarzenegger has had a lot of success in his career, whether you love him or like him. And one of his main rules is you have to trust yourself. And what I would encourage people to do is you generally know the answer to the question. You know, when someone says it, you're like, oh my, you get that feeling in your stomach. You're like, that's probably right. You've got to trust that feeling and you've got to really explore that feeling that you have. And don't just go, oh, well, no, I need to test the, you know, the market and I want to No, You already know the answer. You need to follow that. Cause if you're a good recruiter, you, you have that instinct anyway. It's like when a candidate says you're like, Oh, you know, you're going to accept and Like, yeah, I think I would. You're like, no, you're not. <laughs> you just, you just yeah. know, you, you know, it's not going to happen. Same thing goes for your own search. Um, and you know, when someone says something to you, whether it hits home or not, and I encourage people to really listen and trust themselves first and listen to yourself. Okay. That's good advice. I think, well, how have you found the, the transition into a boutique considering you've worked for like two big corporate businesses? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, I think, Two, two-fold answer. I think easier because I worked at Robert Half in Australia, which is my, more like a satellite office of Robert Half. Yeah. But then secondly, you know, it's challenging, but kind of what I expected. Um, you know, the, the thing about working for a Hayes or Robert Half is there's somebody that does everything. You know, like you pick up the phone and you'll get support on anything. Whereas yesterday I was setting up one of my new employees' laptops on my couch. So... <laughs> You know, you're like, you go from that and you're like, okay, well, this is just part of the deal. Right. And so you, you appreciate that there's going to be that, that level of, um, of difference. The cool thing about working at Robert Half in Sydney was, is it wasn't as built out as what, um, as what Robert Half here in the States was and wasn't as structured. And so I'd worked in some of those smaller environments. So I thought I had a pretty good idea of what I was getting myself into at the time I joined Robert Half that only had 30 people in the office in Sydney. So it's a kind of boutique style feel, but yeah. with all of what? So I was kind of going into a similar type of an office setup, but just um, without some of the support. But the benefit is you don't have any of that baggage that goes with being a half. So um, I was speaking with one of the one of the guys that reports to me, and he's new, and he also worked for Robert Half as well. Um, and he'd sent out a message to kind of 20 or 30 software developers out of Google. And, you know, anyone who does tech recruitment will know, like your response rate on jobs like that is like, maybe you'll get one out of 30 if you got yeah. really like and he got 12 responses, um, you know, got nine resumes out of that. And he was like, man, you're like, I'll never have got that before. And I was like, well, that's because they don't, it doesn't come with the baggage of having like, of being like whatever Robert Half is for good or for bad. Yeah. 
the same thing goes on the marketing side. You know, you can mention, well, look, you know, we worked with this client and we did this project for them. Like we'd love to help you and get response from the client straight away, as opposed to like, you're just another person from a really big company that, you know, doesn't really care about what I'm doing. So there's the, there's the plus and the minus you get the baggage, but sometimes the baggage helps you and other times the baggage doesn't help you. Yeah. So. I think as long as you go into it with open eyes and knowing that you're probably going to have to look after a broader spectrum of tasks rather than just be so narrowly focused, I think you'll be fine. And you go in there accepting that that's how it's going to be. The other thing is, is, you know, you're going to be asked, you know, to be responsible for things and that's mm-hmm. you take that responsibility on head on, you know, like you can't, there's no, there's no escaping it. You know, you're not in a big company anymore. You can't go, well, we'll just call Jill in accounts and she can whatever, like clients need to call them. Um, you know, you need to call them. You need to get the money in, like in, it's on you. Um, I was dealing with whether we're going to go back to the office or not. And I was like, I don't know if I'm qualified to have this conversation, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I've got to make those calls and you've got to take on that responsibility. So you go in with open eyes, know that you're going to have a broad, like a much broader task, uh, sorry, a much broader, broader set of responsibilities and make the responsibility on head on. And, And are you enjoying it? Are you enjoying having that extra responsibility? I, I couldn't enjoy it more. Um, okay. I, I love it. Like it's, it's great. I, I think I was saying this the other day. I'm sure you wouldn't have asked that question if you thought I was going to say something negative. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I did get a bit worried there for a minute. when you <laughs> It's great. It's exactly what I thought it would be. Um, and the guys are great to work with. And um, I, I think I've always thrived with more responsibility. I do care a lot about the people that work for me. And I think being in, the, being in a role where that's key to, to getting successes. It makes me makes it a lot easier to wake up every morning and, and go to work, even if it is only a ten foot walk to my kitchen table. <laughs> That's good though. That it is a nice feeling when it feels like you, you, you've got kind of a new lease on life when you go into something that's more challenging. Yeah, I think as well. Like we all know as recruiters, like when you look at the at your phone and it's like nine a.m. and then the next time you look, it's four thirty. You're like, okay, right, I'm in a good job. I know. Yeah. Like, I'm doing it because I'm not really looking at the time. Now, loads of people have been asking me about this over over the last few months, like clients and candidates, but you've actually gone through the visa process during COVID, like during the the lockdown. What can you kind of give people a bit of an overview of what that was like? Uh, Yeah, yeah, I can. So my wife and I both went through it and we're Australian. So a lot of Australians are on a visa called the E3. Um, and that requires exit of the country and re-entry upon new issuance of visa. So that meant that we had to leave the country, get the visa and come back in during COVID. Not fun. Um, the, the good news is, is we were able to mail in the application. Um, but I think having strong legal support is absolutely crucial through that period. So I, I was very lucky to deal with these that I think she's, I'm pretty sure she's actually Australian. Her name's um, Gentelle Camissa Markel. Um, and she has like a, a firm that basically specializes in E2 and E3 visas. So I was very lucky to have support from her and she kind of covered me off really easily, put my mind at ease about what things were, what things were going to be happening. Um, at that exact point of time, Trump was starting to question um, H1B visas, non-immigrant visas. Like there was a lot of kind of uncertainty yeah. around that of everything else like thought we weren't going to be able to get a visa as well so that wasn't fun but i think having strong legal support is is absolutely key to that and if that means you have to pay for it yourself and so be it um it may sound like a lot of money you know three or four grand but it is 
it's it's worth it if you're going for a new job and you need to feel that security. I mean, even just to have the conversation with her, it's not that expensive, like it's a couple hundred bucks or whatever cost. Yeah. Um, it's, it's absolutely worth it just to put your mind at ease, to put your employer's mind at ease um, and to give you that clarity around what the next steps are. I couldn't believe how quick your visa came through. I was yeah, so I, surprised. So uh, interestingly, the US government or the US consul is processing visas faster than they ever have now, which is kind of anti what Trump wanted. Yeah. Um, a bunch of people in the USCIS to actually slow down the visa process. But in any case, um, I was able to turn around the visa in like 55 hours or something like that from the moment I sent it off and mailed it in back in my, in my possession within under three business days. So unbelievable yeah I, it's honestly unreal and i my hat goes out my heart goes out and my hat goes off to the guys in the in the u.s consulate in sydney because they did a fantastic job they were really responsive and very helpful um and so that was great and so i had the visa back and i was able to come come back to the states pretty quickly the travel was probably the more anxious part to be honest you know being on a plane for 24 hours across the world with a mask on the whole time was not fun but because um, I, I, a lot of people have been worried about flying, but I suppose it's it's at the airport. But actually, on the plane, you're probably at your safest, aren't you? Because they've got the air filtration system, and it's probably the best place you can be. All, all I would say is, if the plane's not full, it's probably one of the safest places you could be. Yeah. Um, if the plane is full, then I suppose that's dependent on whether there's people that are around you, like everywhere else that you're indoors. But I will say this: like I flew United. Uh, the whole way back and they were fantastic you know the, like I, I felt it was a very clean service like they were wiping down everything every whatever amount of time yeah everyone was wearing a mask everything was fine so i i couldn't do any more than, than say that i recommended that it was it was fantastic but it's still you're just anxious you know you got to, like you sat for 24 hours with a mask on and you're like you're worried like every person you look at has covid so i it's it's hard but it was it was more than fine Good. Okay. Well, finally, what are your kind of top tips for anybody approaching their job search in a global pandemic? Okay. Um, good question. I think number one is you've got to know what you want to do next and you've, and you've really got to kind of hone that down as to, as to what the next step is and why. So take the time to analyze your career, analyze what you've done and then plan what you want to do next and then start to look at opportunities against that so that's the first thing second thing is you know learn how to video interview because it's here to stay and you know you, you've got to get used to it you've got to have a couple of gags that you can go with that you know that make sense and whatever all the normal things around around interviewing you need to be really clear and I, i've talked with a lot of my friends about this but you need to be really clear about your interview narrative so like why are you looking like what's the reason why you're standing in front of me um and, you know, that was something that a lot of the clients that, you know, I spoke to on, like, via you is I had to answer for them. Like, Matt, you've been with Robert Half for seven, seven and a bit years. You know, you've only changed job once in 11 years and it's the middle of a pandemic. Like, why the hell are you looking now? Um, you know, and you need to have a good answer that, that isn't going to throw the company under the bus. You know, you, mm. you, like Robert Half was a fantastic organization for me for, for like seven years of my life. I met some of the best people I've ever worked with in that company. Um, you know, people that came to my wedding, my MC at my wedding, I met Robert Half, he introduced me to my wife. Like it's a great company, but it's just not right for me now. And you need to be able to communicate that in a way that is like both honest and genuine, but also, you know, tells the truth about why you're actually standing there. Um, and then other than that, you need to be really uh, clear about what you're going to bring to the table. So like, I think a lot of the 
a lot of the questions that I got at interview and a lot of, cause in a leadership position, at least people want to know, like, what are you going to bring to the table? So before you have those, before you have those interviews, you've got to be really clear about you know, how are you going to manage people? Like, what are your beliefs? Like, how do you go about recruiting? Like what's your core kind of management values? Like how do you look at the, the, the way that the pandemic's been operated and what would you do differently? And you've got to make sure you have some strong answers for that. And they've got to be real. So um, to do that, you've got to do some, some thinking. You can't just start yeah. jumping up and go, well, you know, I built 500K last year, so, you know, you should hire me. Like, that's fine if you just want to do that. But if you want to go further, you need to think more about it. Okay. You forgot one. You forgot one very important thing. Oh, God. Speak to you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Uh, well, I did say to a candidate that, you, that I interviewed for you the other day that he was very lucky to be working with you. And anyone who takes the time to go and look at the recommendation I gave you on LinkedIn, um, you know, we'll be able to see what I say about you, but you know, for the value of the conversation, it's rare to find a recruiter that I think thinks about recruiting the way with the, with the level of depth that the best recruiters think about it as a rec to rec. It's just, it's, it's just incredibly rare. Um, and I was incredibly lucky to have met you. And I, like I said to you yesterday on the phone, when Lisa introduced me to you, I was like, I don't know if this is going to work out. Uh, <laughs> But I was like, you know, what? I'm going to trust Lisa because I know, I know Lisa well. And it was, it was the best introduction that I could have had because I felt like you were totally in my corner. You knew exactly, um, you kind of knew exactly where, where I needed to go and what I needed to do. You didn't push me to get there, but you helped me kind of figure it out myself a little bit, which I really liked. Um, and you navigated some very difficult conversations with some clients with, with a relative amount of ease, I thought. Um, and, you know, and I was like blessed to work with you and blessed to get multiple offers. So I had like a couple of choices between, you know, kind of three or four places. Um, and I think I managed to maintain those relationships with those people based on my conversations with you. Um, you know, I think those people would still would want to talk to me if I, if I came onto the market again, and that's in no short part because of your management. So um, I just honestly, I'm blessed to have met you. And so thank, thank you so you. much. I feel bad now because I feel like I just forced you to plug me, but I was just joking. No, no I realise that, that obviously this is certainly like a marketing exercise, right? So, <laughs> it's fine. Um, people definitely need to, you know, I think anyone who's, who's on the market right now or thinking about being on the market, I would welcome them to have a conversation with you because I think similar to the way that I encourage Candace to have a conversation with me, the worst that's going to happen is we decide that there's nothing really out there for you right now. And it's just time to hold station. That's also okay. Uh, and I think you're one of the few people that would do that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. And thanks so much for speaking with us today. And um, yeah, hopefully I'll get to see you in New York soon. Hopefully. I mean, you do owe me a lot of drinks, I think, based yes. on what I've kind of gone through. So.